from Public Health Institute. Welcome to the PHI CDC Global Health Podcast, a new podcast that highlights stories from the PHI CDC Global Health Fellowship Program, a U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention funded program implemented by the Public Health Institute. Our fellows are guided by CDC Global Health experts and work on the front lines of global health, developing the technical and professional skills needed to make meaningful contributions to today's global health challenges. I'm your host, Whitney Hall, the program's administration and communications specialist. Today, our guest is Dr. Hamad Ali. Originally from Pakistan, Dr. Ali first became a physician before working in public health. He discusses his path to CDC, shares advice for those interested in the world of global health, and discusses his many field experiences around the world. Welcome, Dr. Ali, and thanks so much for joining the podcast today. Let's start off with what your current role at CDC is. Thanks a lot, Whitney. Looking forward to our chat today. Um, so I've been, uh, I'm currently working at CDC as a medical epidemiologist in the epi and surveillance branch, which is part of the division of global HIV and TB. And DGHD, the division actually resides within the Center for Global Health. Wonderful. And what sparked your initial interest in public health or global health? And how did you get started in this field? Uh, so that's a slightly longer story, but um, I was born in Pakistan and I had a major surgery when I was in grade five where it was an appendectomy, but unfortunately it wasn't diagnosed in time. So uh, the surgeon actually had to do a major laparotomy. And I was unfortunately in the hospital for about a month. And staying in the hospital at such a young age, interacting with physicians and nurses um, on a daily basis, I became really, became really, really interested in medicine. And uh, just one of those things where I, since that age, I wanted to become a physician when I grew up. I did not know what that entailed. Um, and what I was getting into because I had nobody in my family who was a physician uh, except for one aunt who lived in a different country. So, but that was what I wanted to do all my life growing up after that period. Um, So I did pursue that. I got into one of the top med schools in the country. uh, But as I was finishing med school in, I think, year three or year four, um, or I should say when I was midway through med school, I just felt that this is, I want to do more. Um, than just seeing patients day in and day out. And as rewarding as clinical medicine is or clinical practice is, I actually wanted to go into a field where I could work in a much more diverse environment and be a bit more hands-on in terms of uh, what I do on a day-to-day basis rather than just you know being in one place at a clinic or at a hospital, for example. And I honestly did not know what that was going to be. So I finished med school. I did my internship, which is sort of part of the med school system in the British uh, system, where you do uh, one year or one and a half year of almost like an observership. Um, So I completed that because obviously I had started med school and this is what I wanted to do for a long, long time. So I did finish that, but then I was searching for what next. Not knowing what next, I actually started working in a temporary role, in a teaching role at uh, Uh, at a med school, interestingly, in in Pakistan. And the head of the program that I was part of became a mentor. And while I was working there, she got to know me better and she got to see what my interest was and that I'm searching for something that I did not know what it was at that point. Um, So she suggested I look into public health. And uh, to be very honest, I did not know much about public health. Public health is not part of uh, med school curriculum in any major way. 
um, in most developing countries, there is a there was at least at that point there was a subject called community medicine that we did in year three of med school, and it, it is somewhat related to public health. But the way it's taught, it's completely different to what we think of public health um, these days. So she suggested I'd look into a career in public health and actually referred me to a organization, a public health consultancy, consultancy, consultancy organization in the city um, that I lived in. And I went there, talked to the uh, head of the organization and um, started working there on a part-time basis and completely fell in love. Uh, and so soon after that, I actually joined the organization on a full-time basis um, and I stayed there for about a year and a half. And because it was a for-profit consultancy organization, they were doing multiple projects at the same time simultaneously. So in a period of a year and a half, I got to work on about 11 to 14 projects, 14 projects in, in that short period of time. And uh, I, I think looking back at that point, it seemed like a steep learning curve because it, I was completely new to the field. There was so much going on in so many different directions. But looking back, I think it was the best thing that could have happened uh, because in that short period of time, I got to work on multiple things related to public health and global health, including um, not just core epi and um, epi studies, but also from advocacy to implementation to life cycle approach and multi multitude of uh, um, topics as well or subject areas as well from infectious diseases to reproductive health to adolescent health and so on. So I think it was uh, and, and that's probably why I just fell in love with with public health. Um, and after working there for that period of time, I realized obviously that the next logical step is to actually do an MPH. So I moved to Australia, to Sydney, um, and did my MPH there. As I was finishing my MPH, I got a really good opportunity to work on the UN reference group on HIV and injecting drug use. Um, and the secretariat of the reference group was actually the, at the university where um, I was doing my MPH. Um, and as I finished my MPH, I actually uh, got offered a full-time role as part of the secretariat. So I worked there for a couple of years. Um, and the secretariat actually could stay in one place for about three to four years, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly. And then it moved to South Africa. So then I apply started applying for new jobs, got a much more exciting position as a researcher slash associate lecturer um, at the Kirby Institute, which used to be called the National Center in HIV at that time in Australia. Um, and as I started working there, my head of the program asked me that um, looking at your trajectory, the best step for you forward to go forward is to actually do a PhD. Um, so I took that advice, enrolled myself in a PhD program, um, and it actually ended up working out really well because my PhD and my work were essentially the same thing. So I, was, I, was, I did my PhD full time and then went down part time for my job. But because it was all the same, my work benefited from my PhD and my PhD benefited from my work. Um, and that's how I came into public health, and I haven't looked back since. Wow. Uh, well, thank you so much. That's so interesting to to hear. You know how you were affected being you know young in a hospital, and then being inspired to to pursue medicine and then public health. And I actually I googled you a little bit before our interview <laughs> and saw um, saw your your name associated with you know, work in Australia, but I wasn't sure if that was you, but it sounds like you're really a, a global citizen uh, with your work. Um, how did you come then to work at CDC after that? So as I was finishing my PhD um, and all, like everybody else who's about to finish their PhD, the next question is where to from here? 
Um, and I wasn't sure where to. I had one good option that I wanted to pursue, and, uh, and that was a postdoc program with the National Health and Medical Research Center Council, sorry, in Australia. Um, and that's a four-year program. So I, I was looking into that program, but then my aptitude was in global health, and I really wanted to pursue a career in global health. Australia definitely does some work in global health, but not as, as extensive as we do here in the US. Uh, most of the work that Australia or Australian institutes do are confined to the Pacific or Southeast Asia or broader Asia for that matter. Um, so as I was looking into different options, a friend of mine who was at CDC doing, an, from Australia, Sydney actually, who was doing a different fellowship called ORISE and she was doing the evaluation fellowship within ORISE. Um, and I was talking to her and she was, she said, have you looked into EIS? Um, and actually before I go into um, anything and go any further, EIS is a two-year postdoc program or fellowship program at CDC and it stands for Epidemic Intelligence Service. Um, and it's a highly competitive, competitive highly sought, sought after program where uh, people who have completed an advanced degree get selected to be a part of CDC and to complete this program. And it's sort of like an epi training program, field training program. So when my friend recommended that, um, I became really interested because I could come to CDC, work at CDC, and also pursue a career in global health, you know, sort of do two things at the same time. I was the same year coming to, as uh, the year that I was finishing my PhD, I was coming to uh, Boston to do a summer school at Harvard. Um, so I, I, when I came here, I actually came, flew down to Atlanta and met uh, a few uh, current and uh, EIS alumni from the program to get a better understanding of the program itself and, and, the, and CDC more broadly. Applied for the program. Interestingly, EIS uh, recruitment actually is a slightly longer time frame because from application to the time that you actually start, it actually takes about 10 to 12 months. Um, as I was going through the processes and different steps of uh, EIS application and selection, I got the um, postdoc fellowship through NHMRC that I mentioned earlier. Um, and the program was really nice because it was, once again, it had a global component where two years of the program were at the University of Bern in Switzerland, and the remaining two years were back in Australia. So I found out about that first and started that, moved to Bern, um, started working on a number of things uh, with the professor that I was uh, working under and found out that I got into EIS. So unfortunately, I had to put my uh, postdoc on hold to come here and um, do EIS. But as life happens, I got a job offer as I was finishing. Um, I applied for and got a job offer as I was finishing EIS and had to relinquish my postdoc. And then I'm here for the past five and a half years. Okay, great. Uh, well, you know, it sounds like you have a lot of international experience. Are there any field experiences in other countries or regions that stand out to you as highlights of your career? Um, how much time do we have? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so a number of distinct things are coming to mind. I will probably maybe quickly touch on two or three of those. Just be mindful of time. So the first one I'd like to mention is that uh, as I was actually during the uh, EIS program that I was doing during the fellowship, I got to work on the Ebola vaccine trial in Sierra Leone. And I was the team lead for medical management um, on one of the sites. They had three sites across Sierra Leone and I was the team lead for medical management on one of the sites. It, amazing experience. Um, 
By the time I actually went to the field, it was towards the end of the actual outbreak itself. So things had gone down quite a bit, but we were still working on the, on the trial. Um, and as you probably know by now, that we do have a vaccine that is being used um, in the current outbreak that we have of Ebola in Africa at the moment. So it was an amazing experience being part of something um, that was so interesting and so monumental for the future. Um, but the, uh, the, because this was towards the end of the outbreak and it was a huge outbreak at that point in 2015, 2016, uh, I was one of the last few people that were actually in the field to try to bring together um, and close down the site and, and um, finish all the loose, you know, sort of tied all the loose ends. And interestingly, it was a small town that I was uh, I, I was in, and sometimes I was the only person at the hotel I was staying. So that was also a very interesting experience because of the outbreak, there wasn't much traffic through these smaller towns in the country. Um, and it was a really big hotel, but being the only person at the hotel for nights on end was an interesting experience in addition to the science, obviously. Um, the second thing maybe I'll mention is, uh, in 2019, I was a part of an, a large HIV outbreak in Pakistan. It is, or it was, uh, one of the largest HIV outbreaks in children ever recorded. And I was representing CDC as part of a larger WHO team with another colleague from CDC. Um, and we, this was also a small town in interior Sindh, which is one of the provinces in the country. So we flew into Karachi, which is the capital of the province, and then from there drove on to the smaller, smaller town. And we were working with multiple stakeholders, both international and local, uh, UNAIDS, USAID, WHO, um, the local AIDS control program, local NGOs, local uh, uh, government organizations. And it was uh, pretty stressful to be a part of something where at that point when we were there, which was pretty early on in the outbreak, they had diagnosed about more than 900 children, if I remember correctly, with HIV in a very short span of time, in a couple of months or so. So as you can imagine, this, is, this was a huge deal uh, for everyone involved, for the community, for the children, for the local governments, for all the international partners that were there. Um, and mainly we were working with the local, uh, the provincial AIDS control program and the local FELTP, which is the field epidemiology and laboratory training program. Um, and different countries have their own FETP or FELTP programs in country, which are sort of like also two year field epi training programs. So we were working with fellows from the, from the program and we got to work on a number of things. We got to help with a case control study, a, a cross-sectional study, and then we helped design a much larger and a much more robust um, case control study that was implemented once we left, because obviously the implementation time frame was much longer. And interestingly, we're actually these days working on writing that analysis up with the colleagues in Pakistan. That was the science bit. And this deployment was also very interesting because it was in the middle of summer in rural Sindh, and sometimes there were temperatures of 120 plus. Uh, the first night we arrived, I distinctly remember that there was no power at the guest house that we were to stay. We arrived there close to or soon after sunset, I believe. Um, and it was so hot in the rooms that we physically just simply could not sit in the room. So what, what we would, our hosts were kind enough 
um, that they offered us to the car that we were traveling in to switch on the car, turn the AC on so we could actually sit in the car. So we sat in the car and worked till about one in the morning because there was no power, we couldn't do anything else. So we just decided, let's, you know, this is the first night, let's prepare as much as we can before we go into the field tomorrow morning. Um, so that was a very interesting experience, as you can imagine. And very quickly, in the last 12 months, uh, without going into any details, I got the opportunity to work on multiple deployments of COVID, um, obviously in the US. Um, and it was an eye-opener because till this point, uh, or till last year, I should say, I hadn't actually done any domestic work in the US. I'd only been a part of um, the global work at CDC. And working in the US on COVID um, was a great learning experience as well as to see the differences and similarities of our work, global work, um, and the work that we were doing on COVID. Um, we really appreciated hearing about those. I mean, it sounds like those are memories that you'll, you'll have for a long time. Um, what are some of the greatest lessons that you've learned working in global health? Right. So the first thing that comes to mind, and probably the most important, at least in my mind, that comes to mind is uh, the importance of learning from each other. We all learn from each other. Each and every one of us has something to offer, something to teach, something to impart. Um, and ir irrespective of our education, our background, our expertise, experience, age, gender, uh, we all have something that is unique and we all have something that is important for others to learn from. And I think that's probably the greatest lesson that I've learned working in global health, because sometimes, um, whether it's because of our uh, education background or because of experience or because of our cultural background or because where we come from or where we are working, sometimes we um, tend to think that uh, we have more to offer than others. But that's never the case. It's, it's always a reciprocation of experiences and uh, lessons that one does when you're in the field in global health, in, in any setting for that matter. Um, and so I think that's one of the greatest lessons that I've learned to keep my, uh, you know, mind and heart open to conversations, to lessons, to learning and to education, no matter where it's coming from. I love that. It's kind of like being a lifelong learner. Um, as a mentor now to PHI CDC Global Health Fellows, what qualities do you think help our fellows make the most of their fellowship? And then how do you uh, feel that the fellows contribute to your work or office division mission and goals? So I've actually been very fortunate um, to have matched with amazing PHI fellows so far. Um, everyone that I've worked with or am, I am working with these days uh, or this year, um, they've all been very dedicated um, and they've all excelled at every task that is assigned to them or that they've been a part of. So, so it's been a great experience so far working with PHI fellows. Uh, the, I think one of the most important qualities is, the, is having the enthusiasm to learn. So when you join, whether you are joining some an organization as a fellow or you know, even as an employee or as an intern, um, you may not know anything, everything or anything for that matter, uh, about the subject area, about the project, about the experiences that others have that you don't, but you should be open to learn. You should be open to, uh, you know, learning not just in a technical way, but in a more uh, holistic way from others that are around you. And also it's very important to putting your hand up, um, to volunteer for anything and everything, To whether it's a very small thing, just, just get involved in the process. 
And I, I always think of this one small example that I always give to um, anyone that I'm talking to who's either interested in public health or, um, you know, wants a career in public health or is a fellow and still new to the field of public health. And that is, even if you don't know how to do something, and I give an example of, uh, of manuscripts. Um, so I always encourage my fellows when they join that even if they don't have any prior experience of writing a manuscript, even if they've never actually engaged in the process of writing a manuscript, just raising their hands up and saying, whether it's to their uh, supervisors or mentors or anyone else within the team that they're working in to say, I would love to be part of writing a manuscript. Please let me know how I can contribute. And at the very beginning, uh, you know, they may not have a major role in the actual process itself. However, they'll see, you'll see that, you know, slowly but surely, uh, they will get that experience and people are always looking for help when somebody's writing a manuscript, whether it's editing, whether it's formatting, whether it's helping with the actual submission, whether it's helping with literature review or with references. Um, so just putting your hand up and saying that I'm here, I'm available, I'm interested in learning, and I would love to be a part of something that you are working on does the trick more often than not. And just doing that, I think, is, is very beneficial in um, going on a trajectory of learning. Hmm, that's great. Um, well, on the flip side, are there any mentors you have had that have been especially influential in your career? Plenty, actually. I have always fortunately have had a mentor throughout the different positions that I've held um, in different countries. Um, as I was, I started with, you know, I believe it was question number two when we were talking about how I came into public health. And I mentioned uh, my mentor where I was doing, I was working in a teaching role um, at, at a med school and the head of the program actually helped me understand public health and helped, and almost pushed me to pursue and look into public health as a career. And I can't thank her enough because I am genuinely um, in love with public health. I really enjoy what I do on a day-to-day -day basis. And it's only thanks to her that she saw what I didn't in me and um, actually pushed me to actually look into pursuing a career in public health and trying to understand what public health was to start off with. And after that, the consultancy or, uh, organization that I mentioned, uh, the head of the program there that I was working under, he was very kind and generous with his time. He literally taught me what public health was, literally showed me um, how to do anything and everything from writing a protocol to in, um, designing a questionnaire for a field study. So I'm really grateful to him. And then during my PhD, my head of the program and who was also my PhD supervisor um, gave me multiple opportunities to excel, multiple opportunities to, contrib opportunities to contribute to very significant things that I was really privileged to be a part of, things on a national and international level that if it wasn't because of him, it would have been difficult to actually get to that, um, get that exposure being a PhD student. And now these days as well, I, uh, since I've joined CDC, I've always had one or sometimes two mentors to learn, both learn from and also to get advice from. And it, the advice doesn't only need to be, what should I do now or what should I be doing now or how should I, how should I be learning, but also, where should I go from here on? What should I do five years? You know, or this is what I want to do in the future. How can I make sure that I get there in the next five years? So I've, I've been very lucky um, to have some really influential mentors throughout my career. 
Uh, what technical skills do you think are most important working in global health today? And also what soft skills do you think are most important? I think you, you've you started to touch a little, or you touched a little bit um, earlier on the soft skills about, you know, the importance of listening um, as well. Sure. Um, so far, the technical skills, um, epi skills are obviously very important. And uh, having an MPH is becoming more and more of a requirement, so to say, working in global health. Um, although there's still obviously lots of great individuals and professionals out there who are working um, without having an MPH, but I think it's becoming more and more important. But if not in a full MPH, but at least having a good understanding of uh, epidemiology, whether it's through an Epi 101, and I'm talking about just the basics, uh, or through a similar course, data skills are also becoming very important. Um, whether it's data management or data analysis, uh, I think data skills are very valued working in global health and people who have good data skills are always welcomed wherever you are, whichever organization you are. And I think the last thing which is also becoming very important for a career in public health and global health especially is having project management skills. Um, and these could include things like what is a Gantt chart and how to use a Gantt chart, what is log frame model or a log frame approach, and how is that used within the realm of public health. Um, so my only tip is that, you know, try to do as much of uh, these things as possible to prepare yourself for a role in global health. And in terms of soft skills, yes, you correctly mentioned that we've already talked about a little bit, but the second thing that I would like to add there is I think very important to have cultural awareness and humility. Kindness is in everyday interactions will take you very far working in global health. And I think that people who have that, who have the flexibility and the adaptability to change and be aware culturally and be kind and generous in their interactions on a daily basis, working in global health, do much better and develop much more long-lasting long relationships with partners in country working in public health compared to others. Great. Uh, well, do you have any advice to listeners who are eager to work in global health in terms of what has helped you enter this field and succeed? I mean, it sounds like you've been um, in public health a, a while now. So um, kind of just looking back of what has what has helped you with that longevity mm -hmm. in this field? Uh I think I've mentioned this in one of the previous questions, but I've always been one of those people who have always put their hand up um, to volunteer, to participate, and to say, I'm here, please let me know how I can help. And I think that's the thing that has helped me the most throughout my career, especially in the early part of the career, um, when people don't know you or know your work as a professional, except for the people that you're immediately working with or people who are you know, your supervisors. But extending that to the wider group of team that you're working in, I think it's very important. Um, and then also experimenting and not being afraid to ask. Um, and I always give this silly example. Uh, while I was actually doing my PhD and um, before my PhD, coming from Pakistan, and I, I did my PhD, I had a full scholarship and I did not have a lot of money to go and attend conferences, especially international conferences. And what I used to do, even if a conference didn't say that they had funds available for students to come and present, I used to always submit something, number one, obviously. And then also, even if they didn't have any dedicated funds, I would just email the organizers um, and say, 
this is what I do, this is who I am, and I'd love to come and attend, but I, uh, I don't have the funds to do so. And more often than not, they would at the very minimum give a partial scholarship for me to actually attend these. And then I would talk to my supervisor and say, I've got a partial scholarship from this conference. Would you mind sort of filling the gap and paying for the rest of it? And uh, he always said yes. Um, so that was really kind of him, but it always started with asking. So that's my tip to people who are new to public health or global health and or want to enter this field um, to please ask, put your hand up, please ask. And it never hurts asking. And you will see that once you start asking, um, more often than not, you will actually get what you're asking. Mm, that's great advice. Uh, well, do you have any favorite public health trainings? I know you mentioned conferences just now um, or other resources, books um, that you recommend either for people with your educational background or those who are newer to public health? I'm partial because I love what I do. I love public health. And uh, public health is such an amazing field where a large number of different fields interact. It, it, from science and medicine to technology to sociology, behavioral science, there's a lot that, you know, I can say to answer that question, but um, keeping in mind those who are actually new to the field or are interested in learning more about public health or are just joining public health, maybe I'll just recommend um, two books. Both of them are sort of investigative journalism, actually. So they're, they're interesting reads. They're not very um, sort of uh, academic, so to say, but they're, they're very interesting to read. The first one is called and the Band Played On uh, by Randy Schiltz. Uh, it was published in 87, and then they actually turned it into a movie in uh, early 90s, I believe. Anyway, the book is about the early days of HIV in the US. It talks about the struggle. It talks about the stigma and discrimination. It talks about the politics. It talks about the lack of understanding whenever there is a new infectious disease. And as we've seen last year around the world, um, there's plenty of that. And then it also talks about how people worked together to actually find solutions and work together to um, help fight the stigma and discrimination that come, came with the disease in the early years and early couple of decades of the, of, the, of the infection. The second is called The Hot Zone by Richard Preston. And uh, that book actually uh, looks at the different strains, strains of Ebola and Marburg very interesting read. Interestingly, I've just finished this book uh, a few days ago and thoroughly enjoyed reading it. It's a it's a very quick read. It's not lengthy at all, but it, it is very interesting and gives you a really good insight into public health and how things work, especially around an infectious agent um, that poses a threat to global health. Thanks for sharing those recommendations for listeners. So that's And the Band Played On and The Hot Zone. Did you want to add anything else or fill people in a little bit more on what you're working on now? The first question, my day job is uh, working in global HIV and I mainly work in HIV surveillance uh, and specifically clinical surveillance activities in countries that um, CDC works in. Uh, and not sure if our listeners are familiar with PEPFAR, but it is the U.S. President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief, um, and it's a global it's an initiative by the U.S. government. Uh, but it's a global activity, and CDC is a major player, uh, but major part of the PEPFAR activities. And so my day job is working in surveillance in um, mostly in sub-Saharan Africa, but somewhat in uh, a little bit in Europe and a little bit in Asia as well. Uh, but the last 12 months, obviously, there's been a lot of work that I've been contributing to for COVID as well. So it's been 
both HIV and COVID, with COVID deployments, then coming back to my day job of HIV and working on HIV projects, and then after a certain period of time deploying again and working on COVID and then just going on that circle. So it's been very, very interesting, rewarding, um, busy and challenging 12 months so far. And um, we don't unfortunately have an end in sight yet. So let's see how many more months it goes on. But uh, it, it is definitely a, a time where all of us are learning um, and all of us are doing our you know, tiny contribution to uh, help improve the situation. Wonderful. Well, you sound very busy. And thank you for everything you're doing in public health, Dr. Ali. And thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you to our guest, Dr. Hamad Ali, and all of you for tuning in to the PHI CDC Global Health Podcast. This podcast is a project of the PHI CDC Global Health Fellowship Program, which is implemented by the Public Health Institute and its partner, Consortium of Universities for Global Health, for the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Please join us next time as we share more fellowship stories. To learn more about our program and see how we are making meaningful contributions to today's global health challenges, visit our website at phi-cdcfellows.org. If you enjoy the podcast, you can always subscribe or rate us and leave a review. We love to see those and it helps other listeners find the podcast. For questions, please email us at info at phi-cdcfellows.org. This podcast is produced by Whitney Hall. Thank you to Mike Sage, Christine Caraballo, Jasdeep Dulay, Natasha Alcaz, Flora Michael, Christine Jolly, Felicia Warren, CDC Center for Global Health, PHI, and CGH.